Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by the guitarist from the legendary band Kansas. Since 1973, he's been part of 21 albums, nine of them gold, five platinum, and the famous song Dust in the Wind. Rich Williams, let's go Beyond the Mic. Thanks, glad to be here. Born in Topeka, Kansas, where did your love of music come from? I guess when the Beatles hit the Ed Sullivan show, the, the whole town was just ignited. Everybody after that wanted to be in a band. There was a garage band on every block. Music stores were popping up everywhere. It was a very exciting time. Being a typical Midwestern town, there was, you had your usual things to do. There was before the shopping malls, uh, you could drive around or you had three channels on television. Uh, everything went off the air at midnight. Um, what was exciting at the time was wouldn't be thought of as exciting today. All of a sudden, here comes music, and it was a cool thing to do. It was exciting. It was it filled a lot of time. I mean, learning to play an instrument really to dedicate yourself to it was hours, you know, a day of just working on it. And so it was like it happened everywhere. It, it happened in Topeka too. Everyone remembers their first guitar. What was yours, and do you still have it? I don't have it. I have a one just like it. Uh, it was a Dan Electro. Um, lipstick pickups on it. I have one. This one actually was a Sears model made by Dan Electro. It looks exactly like the one I have now, which just says Dan Electro on it. It has a single cutaway, Les Paul body style. It's a great playing guitar. Now, people know of your fireworks accident before the eighth grade, where you lost an eye. In retrospect, how did that one significant moment change the way your life has become today? I'm not sure how much. Uh, it kept me out of Vietnam because I wasn't the best student. But since I was 4F, I never even paid attention to the draft. I don't know what my draft number was. I don't know if I was first or last on the list. But I didn't have that hanging over my head. It affected... I had to learn depth perception all over again, and I don't have any. It's, it's a perceived depth perception of you look at things in relative to the other things around it. Uh, if I'm looking over a blank landscape, uh, I can't tell if I'm looking one mile or 50 miles unless I can see like a horse in the background and it, or like traffic signs, say, just by their size in relation to what I'm seeing. And that, of course, I've had one eye a whole lot longer than I ever had too, so now it's quite automatic. But it's affecting me now because of that uh, macular degeneration. So I really, now I wish I had that other eyeball. Try to take really good care of myself with, you know, the right, you know, vitamins, etc., and have a fantastic doctor involved. So I've kind of got it in check, it's it's not progressing very quickly. So I've, I've still got a few years left. Of me. Rich Williams from Kansas joined us beyond the mic. When you went to college before the band came together, what were you studying? Um, mostly I was studying how to play pitch and bridge. Um, <laughs> I spent all my time in the student union. Uh, I didn't. I was going to school just to because it's what people did. I went to Washburn University, which was just the local college in Topeka. And I had no goal whatsoever, except for avoiding the real-life workplace. And so I, I went to school. That was about it. I was 
one of the easier things was history, so I was taking some history classes. But I, I didn't want to be a history teacher, and what kept calling was I'd get in a, you know, some guitar player would play at a band, say, and the guys would say, hey, do you want to join the band? Sure. Then my grades was, would suffer, and I'd, you know, drop out of school, then play in a band, then I'd go back to school, then I'd join another band, and I just kept flip-flopping like that. I might have gotten two years of college credit under my belt. Then uh, Phil Ehart called me. He'd had gone to England to try to get something going, and that wasn't working. So he called me from there and said, you want to get the band back together? And I said, sure. And that I never looked back. I think I made a good choice. I think every Wheathead thinks you did, too. 40 years on the road, there's got to be one great road story. There's always a good road story. Do you got one? Uh, there's so many. It's hard to even think of one. Um, this one popped in my head. It's not a better one than the others. It's just one of them. Uh, it was kind of in the heyday, and we were doing a pretty extensive tour, and Don Fox with Beaver Productions had taken on the entire tour. We'd become really good friends, and we were getting kind of in that practical joke stage where we're constantly pulling practical jokes. And so we uh, decided to pull a joke on our accountant and uh, road manager. And so with Don Fox, this involved our travel agents, everything, uh, management, we set up a fake gig where we were playing. We were based out of Atlanta. We were playing somewhere sort of near there. And we put up a fake show in Birmingham, Alabama. And this involved, he had to send a deposit in. We'd have, you know, travel hotels booked, all of this. It was a very elaborate practical joke in order to pull it off. Then that was going to be the last show before we went home. So we all got up uh, way ahead of the wake-up call, and we all left. So the, the road manager and uh, accountant, they got up and said, oh, these guys think they're going to bother us. You know, they think they're so clever. They left without us. So we're just going to take our time. And, you know, they had a leisurely breakfast and got in the car and, and drove from, like, Chattanooga over to Birmingham. And, of course, we we're already home by now. So they get there. They, they go to the hotel. They, they go over to the, the venue. Well, they're loading elephants in the back. The circus was in town. They're very confused. They thought, you know, what, what's going on? They thought they had the wrong venue. So they're trying to find out where the show is. They just had the wrong information. They're asking people, yeah, where's the Kansas show? It's, they had people following them around. And it took several hours before finally we told them that was a joke. But, you know, that was just, there was a lot of those things going on for a while. So it started getting almost a little bit dangerous. And so we stopped. We had to just say, okay, no more practical jokes because... Uh, the road manager put a dirty diaper in my laundry bag. I went to his room. I got a half gallon of ammonia and a turkey baster at the local grocery store. While he was asleep, I squirted that whole half gallon under his door. And I, <laughs> if you pour ammonia on a floor, you know what that's like. Well, we were all switching rooms all the time. We'd check in and they'd get a different room. He never said anything about it, so I, I, I think I turkey basted a total stranger's hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so yeah, it was things like that. just boys will be boys but it, it, finally we just had to okay somebody's going to get hurt 
Now, to keep the groupies away, bands would check into hotels under fake names. What was yours? We used to do it in the, in uh, Europe all the time because it, security in the hotels was different, and people would just call up and ask for you, and the phone would ring. We were told to, every time you're over there to have different names, so we all made up just silly names. And my name in England for years was Angus Dingus, which is just sounds like a a British guitar player. <laughs> um, but a lot of times when you check into a hotel, the TV would be on it, and it would be a welcome screen. And I'd walk in there and say, welcome, Mr. Dingus. You know, I always got a kick out of that. And I, I remember checking out of a hotel one time in London. And, you know, I had, had room service charges, et cetera. And I said, you'd like to check out of room 225, please. I said, you know, okay, uh, Dingus. That's an unusual name, isn't it, Mr. Dingus? That's <laughs> just like... Just, I got tired of explaining it. Okay, yeah, it says Dingus, but the name's William. I'm using a Williams credit card. Well, how come, why are you checking out for Mr. N- Never mind. So let, let's don't do this anymore. It was, seemed necessary at the time. Now it seems a little silly. After you joined the band, when did you say to yourself, hey, we got something special here? Phil and I were in a band called White Clover. So when he came back, we were... We're getting White Clover back together, but it was going to be a different version than, than we had ever been in. And I'd been, I was just in a band at that time with Dave Hope, who I'd played in several different bands with. Steve Walsh had played a little bit in a White Clover uh, with Phil and Dave, and I hadn't played with him. None of us had played with Robbie Steinhardt before, but you know, we thought. That, We'd seen Robbie's band out of Lawrence, Kansas, and he wasn't working. And so let's, let's, you know, Steve wanted to get together. So that's when the original five of us got together was within that. And we right away started writing original material. And that's, uh, Can I Tell You, was the song that got us our deal with Don Kirshner. Um, there had been a previous version of Kansas that originally was with Kerry and Dave Hope and Philly Hart and others. By this time, that band had kind of evolved and evolved and nothing was happening with, but Carrie was such a terrific songwriter. When we got the deal with Don Kirshner, we we wanted a lot more material, go more in a direction where Carrie could take us. So we called Carrie and said, we've got a record deal, you know, and you're sitting at home, you know. And so Carrie joined up with us. Since Dave Hope originally thought of the name Kansas because he was in the Kansas Blues Band, and they dropped the blues band part and just named that entity Kansas. Let's don't be White Clover. Let's just take the Kansas name. And so that's how all that happened. Since we had an album deal, we didn't want the album into the name White Clover. But once we started working on material, and Gary was, you know, before we had really even played any shows, we were working on material. I can remember going to one song, just going, this is so unique something completely different. This is really special. I, I, I could hear it then. So really, very early on, we knew that we were going to be different. Had no idea that our goal was to record an album. You know, if we could record an album and maybe break out of the local bar scene and, and kind of get to play some of the little bit larger venues, you know, in the Midwest, that was the big time to us. We never dreamed of being on the national or international stage. That was never a goal. That was too big a dream to even have. 
We're beyond the mic with Rich Williams from Kansas, and I can't let you leave without you telling the story of writing the song, Play the Game Tonight. Well, it was just... Uh, John Elefante was <clears throat> replaced Steve Walsh. The record company needed something that they could market as a hit. And so they brought in an outside song, which was a song called Stay With Me Tonight, which made our skin crawl. That was just not a lyric. We were never about those type of lyrics, which was a source of pride. Uh, we, we didn't want to be lumped in with every other band that did that type of thing. And so we altered it a bit. And there was just some, there was input on everybody's part to put that song together uh, to, and to turn it into a Kansas song, which is something we kind of learned how to do in the early days of playing in clubs where club owners, did, you know, they might let you get, get away with a, one or two original songs. You're playing three hours at this club. We had a lot more. That, so we would, one, we would just say that we played original song, but we say, well, this is on the flip side of Smoke on the Water. And we could get away with it because they thought it was Deep Purple song or something. But another thing we did was, you know, if we'd be, there was some new song on the radio and you'd have to play it. Well, I hate the middle of that song. And, oh, yeah, this part sucks. And so we would rewrite it, write a whole introduction to it. And we might change the rhythm of it. Or we, we would just do something to it. We had an old, a whole new middle section to it <clears throat> to make it something we were comfortable with. And it was just out of stubbornness at the time, but in hindsight, I realized that we were really cutting our teeth on music to learn how to be ourselves and how to take whatever was presented us and use our individual talents or abilities to, to edit and change things to make it something we were all comfortable with. So it was kind of a, and that, that, I, that we brought that to the table. We were learning how to be ourselves. And we brought that to the table with, with something like Play the Game Tonight, which was to turn a song we don't not really happy with into something we can live with. Time's running out, so it's time for the Rockin' Eight. First answer that comes to your mind. Oh, okay. Album that isn't yours that everyone should own. The Nightfly, Donald Fagan. Favorite author? Well, I don't know why this jumped in my head, but John Steinbeck. What are the last three songs that you've heard? Grief. I don't listen that much. I'm so busy practicing on our songs. Really? And especially with the, the new album that we're in the middle of, of writing and working on. I can't think of any songs I've listened to lately. Favorite venue to play in? The first thing I come think of is Red Rocks, just because it's such a beautiful place. Song that you use to warm up with? Uh, it changes all the time. Um, usually it's not a song, usually it's scales. Who would you like to spend 10 minutes just talking with? My wife. She's in London and I miss her. <laughs> what would you like to tell the Weedheads? Thank you. I, I've lived an unreal life. I've lived 10 unreal lives. My passion was to just play music and be, and hang around with my buddies. Because of the Kansas community, I've, I'm forever grateful for you allowing me to do this. He has a passion for music, influenced by the Beatles, studied history in college, and was known as Mr. Dingus on the road. Rich Williams from Kansas, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, too. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.